Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Camp located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina, back on the air after a very uh, long, seemingly endless uh, series of classes. And uh, man, it has been what a wild ride! Uh, what a wild ride! It is. It has really been something. Uh, the scout and the recce course, and then turning right around and having the machine gunner course. Uh, here, all here uh, at the the home base, the guerrilla camp, and uh, man, it was something. And uh, the, the scout and the recce course, this this class was was absolutely no different in how uh, I am just continuously impressed by the the wonderful people that come out to class. And uh, man, setting the bar very, very high, uh, extremely high. And, uh, you know, man, I, I really don't think that that course can be topped in terms of how the group coalesced and how uh, really switched on they got, especially by the third day of the scout course. It's really something to behold. And uh, it's, it's a rare opportunity that civilians get to live and work in that team environment that's very reminiscent of a military unit, especially a, a combat arms unit where you have a, a brotherhood that works hard, that certainly plays hard, and uh, really gets it done in the field. And, and it's something special to be able to watch that coalesce. And, um, you know, by the end of the recce course, it's almost bittersweet because everybody is smoked, everybody is wore out, everybody is is just stretched thin and frazzled, but that that uh, flow and that that love that they have for their their fellow man that's on their team, their teammates, that brotherhood that has developed uh, in, in such a short amount of time is, is really, really, really impressive. Uh, of course, the machine gunner course, no different. This is the first time we ran this. And uh, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Mr. Ralph over at Piedmont Cartridge and uh, Nevada Gunworks as well, um, who put, he, he was really the star of the show. Uh, these were his machine guns. And, um, you know, he's, he's down in North Georgia, a couple of 240 Bravos, a uh, saw, an M249 saw, and of course the 50 cal, the big boy, the M2, and being able to bring all of those out 
and giving the students an opportunity that they're never going to get anywhere else. They are never going to get anywhere else. You're never going to get that. You know, Knob Creek was really cool because it's a big full auto machine gun shoot. Um, you know, or was at least a hell of a lot of fun and great people that were there. Battlefield Las Vegas, you know, a lot of fun there too. It, shooting full auto is, is just badass, man. It's, it, it's, it's such a fun thing to do, but you don't actually learn the art of employing a machine gun properly. It's, it's one thing to shoot it. It's one thing to have a hell of a lot of fun to shoot it. Uh, cause, cause it is, believe me. Uh, I, I don't think anybody there uh, was was frowning, even though you know the class started off. It was raining quite a bit. It was it's starting to get cold, and uh, man, you know it, it it and and there were little hiccups. Uh, there were little hiccups here and there. Uh, fifty cows doing what fifty cows do best. Um, you know, having having a couple little issues here and there that we had to work out. Uh, saws doing what saws do best. Uh, having little issues here and there that you have to work out. And, of course, 240 Bravo is doing what 240's Bravo or what the 240 Bravo does best, and that's run like a Singer sewing machine uh, with, with very few issues. But um, you don't really get that opportunity anywhere else to learn the employment, the tactical employment of a machine gun, and go and do it. Uh, you know, everything from... The, the manual of arms, how to work on it, how to, you know, get the gun running its ins and outs to, you know, actually shooting it, how to zero it, qualifying on the machine gunner tables. Uh, we did the Alt-C qualification for it uh, at the 10 meter line with all three of the guns. And, uh, you know, then all the way to the barrel changes. And I've got a video of two of the students doing barrel changes to the standard. To the standard. And, uh, man, you want to talk about impressive. In two days' time, watching guys that have never touched a, a full-auto weapon before do barrel changes on a 240 Bravo while talking the guns and doing that that barrel change to the standard, I'm telling you, that was cool. Um, that was really, really cool. And, and coming from a, a light infantry background spending time in in a, a weapon squad being a weapon squad leader at one point in time uh having been a gun team leader and really held those leadership positions as well and and been uh training joes on how to do that you know man that that's really uh it's really really impressive and i think that it speaks strongly to the character of the students that we get in class so with that said um you know, we've got more dates up on the calendar. We strike while the iron is hot. Um, the machine gunner course, the students who were there, we of course had a packed house. It was a full class and they spoke resoundingly that they wanted a third day. And, uh, we talked about incorporating a night shoot into that, incorporating uh, thermal into that as well. Um, you know, all, all the things that you're going to be doing with a machine gun, uh, you know, all, all the stuff that you're going to be doing with the tactical employment of, of crew served weapons. And so, uh, you know, we're going to make it a, a three day course. It's up on the calendar. It is a three day course. And I'm offering this as a, as a solid block. I've got the, the six day chunk of scout 
of recce. And then that immediate following weekend, we're going to have the three days of the machine gunner course. And, um, you know, I know some people are going to look at this. They're, they're going to look at that class and be like, holy shit. Uh, there, there's some sticker shock there, but you got to understand people, um, takes a lot of money to put one of these courses on and you are not paying for ammo. You are not paying for ammo out of pocket. Okay, we're supplying the ammo for the guns. So when when you look at the cost of that course, it's actually a pretty damn good deal when you think I don't have to supply my own ammo. You don't have range rental fees. You don't have to, to cover any of that. And you're getting instruction from a uh, 0331, who's a, a Marine Corps machine gunner. Um you know, he's, he's been out for a little while, but hey, he, he's an NCO, and this is his bread and butter. Uh, you're getting instruction from a, a former Force Recon Marine who also spent time as an 0331, and of course myself uh, in, in an assistant instructor role. And, um, you know, it, it you're, you're going to get all that hands-on time with great weapon systems, and of course, you know, you, it, it's such a wonderful training environment that is none other that you're going to be getting up here. So you can find more details about that over at brushpeter.store. That's brushpeter.store. I've got a lot of new products that are up up there as well. Freeze-dried food from Peak Refuel is in stock. I've got the buckets uh, that, that contain 12 meals a piece. I've got the individual meals at a better price than you're going to find anywhere else, Amazon included. And I'm working very closely with Peak Refuel. They were excited to work with Brushbeater.store. They were very excited. Uh, the the uh, point of contact, in fact, from Peak Refuel had a copy of the book and, and was really excited. He's like, oh, man, yeah, and, you know, jumped all over it. And, uh, you know, we, we've so we've got our dealership going uh, with Peak Refuel. And I'm very proud to offer that. That is the best freeze-dried food, period. The meals are the best. They, you know, it, and and I have eaten these in class for a long time now. Um, Peak Refuel is, it blows Mountain House out of the water. Uh, it, Mountain House does absolutely nothing for me these days. When they change the packaging, I don't know what happened, uh, but when they changed the packaging, it wasn't good. Uh, whatever it was. They got bought out by somebody. I, I don't know who it was. But uh, Peak Refuel, those meals are like something that I would, uh, I'd fix here at home. You know, that, that's that's real food. That's that's not just calories. That's not just, you know, putting putting a little gas in the tank while you're out in the field and, you know, heavy on salt and, and, and carbs. These, these are actual real meals. And, um, you know, if you don't believe me, Hey, you know, pick up one. They're not that expensive. Pick up one, try it, and I'm telling you, the product quality is going to speak for itself. Of course, Lucid Optics. We have uh, a lot of optics options that are on the store now. Lucid Optics, I've been selling a lot of these, and in particular, the P8, which is a 4x40, 4x40 prismatic optic. This thing, and, and I did a quick write-up on the Brushbeater blog earlier today about this thing because it, it was really based around student feedback. 
in the scout course and of course fighting carbine just prior to that um based on on the students feedback it was is really really cool uh they they really enjoyed it i've got two of them mounted on loner rifles uh, because, you know, not, not everybody's weapons that they bring to the scout course, they can really run uh, blanks in. And that's fine. And, and, and you know, that, that's why we have weapons that, that we rent out. But um, the uh, 4x40 optics, the, those, those prismatic optics are, are doggone nice. Uh, super nice. And they do not have a BDC reticle. They have an MOA reticle. So these are able to be employed on, on really any weapon system that's out there. And they have uh, three different mounting options as well for uh, several different heights. So you could really put this thing on an AK. You can put it on an AR-15. Um, it can, it, you know, it has a multitude of roles. Of course, we've got the LPVOs, uh, low-power variable optics, the 1 to 6 by 24, the uh, L7 which has a matching MOA reticle uh, in it, as well as uh, exposed turrets for making adjustments on the fly. And Swamp Fox. Uh, Swamp Fox Optics, I've got mounts from Swamp Fox. I have their brand new Warhawk and Warhorse lines. Um, so I'm really excited about those. Of course, I have the Tomahawk and I have the Arrowhead, uh, the Arrowhead one to 10 low power variable optic and, uh, the Tomahawk, which is one to six by 24 with their, uh, gorilla dot bullet drop compensator. So a lot of products in stock. I'm really excited to get hands on with the, the all new Warhorse and Warhawk 34 millimeter tubes, um, Unboxed a couple of them, looked through them. I've got a brand new PSA Saber that uh, thirteen seven that the one of these is going to get mounted on for uh, test and evaluation, and I'm really really excited. Uh, I I got a strong feeling that this is going to become my go to weapons platform in the near future. Uh, so I've got a, a BCM Recce 16 that's that's been needing an optics upgrade for a while now. And uh, a lot of you from class uh, know that rifle well because you've used it. So you can probably tell by my voice, uh, it's still a little raspy, it's still a little bit jacked up. Uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of goings on, and I've had a bunch of emails from folks out there that has been asking my take on this this uh, blowing up in the Middle East and, uh, you know, w- what is going on with this and, and kind of breaking this down. I had originally planned on doing an episode in between uh, the Scout and the Recce course right after the conclusion of that and before the Machine Gunner course last weekend and couldn't because my voice was gone. It was completely gone. And, uh, you know, it, it, when it hurts to talk and you, you know, you're, you're just, when, when you give everything to a course and literally everything, you give every ounce of energy you have into that, um, you know, you, you want to, to get in on just jumping in there and, and giving your take on the stuff because maybe somebody's going to get something out of it. Um, you know, and, and, and it, it helps people make sense of the world. Um, 
and, and a lot of you really value my input and I'm, I'm honored by that. But, uh, you know, when, when it hurts me to talk, I know it probably hurts all of you to listen out there and, and my voice is still a little bit shot. Uh, but, but I wanted to kick this podcast out today because I think it's critically important. It's critically important. Now, uh, during the scout course, you know, obviously the, the attack on the kibbutzes in Southern Israel occurred, uh, Hamas flew in on, uh, powered gliders and, uh, paragliders and, carried out their attacks um there's been a lot of interesting propaganda that's been tossed back and forth by both sides and um depending on where you sit on your opinion of things that's going to taint people's opinions there there are those that are out there that um look at israel as as you know incapable of, of doing any wrong. And of course there are those who, who curse the, the ground that, uh, every Jew stands upon. And, you know, e- either way, uh, you're, you're not going to make every crowd happy and the propaganda exists in, inside of that paradigm. Um, I'll say this. I want to point out something to everyone in this audience, regardless of of what your your personal opinion of things may be. And I I told the students this in class as well. I I broke it down in, in as simple terms as I could. It doesn't matter what you think individually here in the United States, okay, or elsewhere in, in the Western world what we consider to be the Western world. And I'm going to throw India into the mix as well. And and I'm, I'm going to touch on that here in a minute. And I think we we're already this morning, as of this morning, uh, 18 October, 2023, we're already seeing the beginnings of something with, with uh, India as well. But I'm going to revisit that. Uh, It doesn't matter what you think individually. Or where you necessarily stand individually. There is a large segment of the world right now that is viewing you as a group target. Whether you wish it to be so or not. Whether you are... um, Whether you're necessarily... uh, you know, flag waving for one side or the other, it doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter. We're on a, a very, very bad path. And this is one that um, I don't think is going to slow down anytime soon. There, there's so many factors that are coalescing right now uh, all together. So what we do know, um, going back to the, the incident itself that, that, that kicked things off, right? The, the current thing that kicked things off, um, you know, was it, was it a terrorist attack? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they, they come across, uh, Hamas 
comes across armed gunmen. They attack civilian targets. They attack military targets as well. <clears throat> and take numerous, numerous civilian hostages. And they specifically targeted civilian areas. Okay. That's a fact. That's in, that is, that is, uh, inarguable. They absolutely did that. Th- to the folks that, that will, uh, you know, curse the ground that, that every Jew stands upon in the Middle East, um, you know, you, you could say that, you know, you, and, and you will say, and you've made the argument that, well, the Gazans are living in an open air prison and the, you know, uh, Israelis target civilian structures all the time. And, you know, I'm not here to, to necessarily debate that. Uh, that's way deeper than what I think I can cover in, in 40 minutes time uh, remaining in this podcast. But the fact is, is that they targeted civilians. Okay, that's indisputable. It happened. Okay. Now, conversely, on on the other side of that, there's a lot of people out there who are wondering just how, uh, first of all, Hamas got the training to conduct what they did and how they were able to plan and coordinate such a large-scale attack absent the uh, purview of the Mossad, right? So the Mossad, we, we think of in, in the United States, the Mossad is this uh, incredible, uh, all-seeing, all-knowing intelligence agency that can do all the things and nothing gets past the Mossad. Well, you know, we think the same thing about the CIA, you have to understand that these organizations are made of humans. Okay, at, at the end of the day, they're made of humans. Humans are fallible, and and I want to explain something to you. And and this has a lot to do with with the patriots out there. Um, that it's a message that I've been saying, and others have been saying this too, for a very very long time. If you move away from electronics and concentrate on human intelligence, specifically localized in nature, you're almost impossible. Your organization will almost be impossible to penetrate. The IRA understood this quite well. Uh, The Algerian resistance of the FLN understood this extremely well. Uh, You know, in, in Iraq, human intelligence targets were notoriously difficult to penetrate notoriously and the only time that we did the only time that we actually could exploit that afghanistan is another example the only time that we could exploit that was with mountains of money we'd have to throw a lot of money at these guys and that was even after we had already compromised them on something we already got you on something yeah well they still ain't budging well now we got to shovel money in your direction right well with the palestinians you got to understand that these are, this is one of the most densely populated, Gaza City is one of the most densely populated places in the world, right? And with the Gazans specifically, they grew up together, they eat, sleep, live their daily lives together, literally on top of one another. They get tight 
right? That is a very, very tight-knit community. Whether you want to realize it or not, whether you want to accept that or not, but that is the reality, okay? And human intelligence then is very easy for the insurgency to pull off, very easy for the the revolutionary to pull off, where they exist completely offline, right? And so the Mossad has fallen into the same trap as the American intelligence community because we're very tightly linked with one another. Uh, The Mossad does exist as a separate agency, of course, and it's a separate nation, but there's a lot of sharing that goes on. Uh, Cellebrite, Pegasus, these are uh, Israeli-developed, Mossad-developed tools that that are used for electronic exploitation. You know, with Kay uh, from Combat Studies Crew, you go back and dust off the podcast we've done together and what he covers in in his excellent Ground Rod series, which we're going to have here again in spring of 2024. Um you're going to know that, that these are tools that they develop for electronic exploitation. But when it comes to the actual legwork of human intelligence, everyone in the intelligence community knows that, that is the most difficult task. Right? So, when Hamas goes offline and begins to do things mostly peer-to-peer, person-to-person, leaves their electronic devices at home, reduces their electronic signature, which we know that they did. All right, we know that they did. And you can look this data up yourself. All right, they they have public accounts where you can follow this. You know, it's not particularly difficult to do this. If you have access to tools like Multigo, or, um, you know, if if you're in law enforcement, um, or in, in a governmental apparatus, LexisNexis is another one that, that where you can you can literally use social media analytics. Um, these these guys are, are staying offline, right? They're staying offline. They begin to go dark, and so it is very difficult to then have to penetrate those organizations with human intelligence techniques. Because what, what human intelligence boils down to is, is isolating the weak one in the pack, getting him on something, right? And then compromising him with a lot of money. Well, you take a place like Gaza, that's very, very difficult to do. And as soon as a guy gets flipped, he's going to end up dead. All right. That's just how it goes. They know it. We know it. So, um, how could they coordinate something like this? It's easy. They went offline. They went offline. And if, if the, all the electronic superiority, they recognize that, if all the electronic superiority is now nullified by the fact that you went low-tech, low-tech beats high-tech, you can coordinate something like this. Now, also... Sometime back, there was a German national who paraglided across the border from Gaza into Israel. Uh, that portion of Israel is is uh, very rural, by the way, and that's where you have these, these kibbutzes, which are uh, essentially farming communes. 
So, um, you know, he, he did that. Now, that was a probing attack. All right, he's a sympathizer to Hamas. This this has a long history, by the way. This isn't anything new. Uh, Black September, which was responsible for they were, uh, a militant offshoot of Palestinian Liberation Organization, they were responsible for the killing of the Israeli Olympic team in the Munich Olympics, um, which also kicked off in reaction to that Operation Hammer of God, uh, which was authorized by Golda Meir. But, and, and of course, uh, the film Munich covers that in, in depth. It's a, v- a very good film. It's It's been memory hold mostly. Uh, had Eric Bana in it, had uh, Daniel Craig in it before he was, he was 007. Um, very well-made film and, and real-world tradecraft that goes into that. A lot of real-world, I think it was extremely well done. But the Bader-Meinhof gang, which was a group of communist revolutionaries that were active in Western, or West Germany, rather. Well, Western Europe, for sure, but West Germany. And then you had the Red Army faction, which was a communist insurgency. You had the Red Brigades of Italy, which kidnapped General Dozier. They were all in solidarity with the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which itself was aligned with the Soviet Union. They have a long history of this. This is why in America you have BLM siding with the Palestinians. This is why you have left-wing Marxist groups that are siding with the Palestinians, with Hamas on this. The, the American conservative, especially the ones who, who just digest a steady diet of, of the usual neocon talking points, they can't really understand this because they have too short of a, a view of history. Uh, you know, when, when you break all of this down, when you put these things together, you understand this is a much longer uh, term picture that's happening here and one that the Russians and the Chinese are seeking to exploit, okay? Because these are long-term allies. These are long-term goals that they have in mind. We haven't even gotten into Iran yet. So they've now sucked the West into this, and this is why in America it's, it's very difficult for conservatives to come to terms with the big picture here. Because you would think that, you know, the, the uh, transsexuals and the, you know, the rainbow flag groups and, and all this are incompatible with Islamicists. And you would be right at face value, but you can't take a lot of this stuff at face value. Okay, you got to understand that, the, that at the, their heart, at the, the heart of the LGBTQ, whatever you want to call it, movement, you have Marxists. You have Marxist radicals. Their goal is the same as the Islamicist revolutionaries. And that at the heart of the PLO, or the, 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 uh, what, what the inheritors of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Hamas and Hezbollah, their goal is Marxist revolution. That's their perspective. That's why they have an allegiance with one another. Okay? So, 
It doesn't matter what the end state is. They'll sort that out later. They are unified in their hatred of the United States and of you and I. It really doesn't matter where you fall into that. You know, whether you say, well, it's just just their problem. I don't really care. Well, you know, that's just one of those things. I'm not a big fan of Israel anyway, so whatever. Hey, look, at this point, it doesn't necessarily matter what happens there and what does not happen there because they are going to bring this war home. Tampa, Florida, Dearborn, Michigan, New York City. Colleges and universities all across the United States. I would say at this point, probably most colleges and universities. Palestinian flags. Marxist professors. Out there rallying to their cause. By the way, by the way, a name that should be familiar to my listeners out there, William Ayers. Bill Ayers. Remember Bill Ayers, the, the street organizer in Chicago? Uh, just a you know, just a friend of Barack Hussein Obama. An organization that he put together a few years back, Free Gaza Movement. Hmm. Wonder why that would be. I wonder what he's up to now. Has anybody heard from him lately? These are people who have absolutely no qualms about murdering you and they want you gone. They're unified the end goal, whether you like it or not. So, with that said, pointing out those facts, because that's what matters. It doesn't matter. Maybe the Israelis, uh, you know, let this attack happen. I've seen a lot of lot of takes on that. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I know that politically, it couldn't have come at a better time for Netanyahu. We know that. Uh, you know, he, he was he was in a lot of trouble. Uh, the Israeli government was in a lot of trouble. The, Israel as a nation is in a lot of trouble. Uh, there's a very sharp divide between the right and the left in Israel, just as it is in the United States as well. They were on a verge of a collapse, a societal collapse in more ways than one. Uh, and some deep fractures that, you know, how do you resolve those? Well, through what we call in the sociology department, superordinate goal. We have something that is larger than the, the two individual groups or the competing groups. There's a larger existential threat. And so you, you allow that to happen. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It right? doesn't matter at this point. You're arguing small things that, that are inconsequential. <clears throat> what matters is is that they are running with it. Okay, The Islamists and the Marxist revolutionaries are running with this one. We're seeing it across Europe. We're seeing it here in the United States. And they're going to be gearing up for what comes next. Now, with that said, it's very telling here. With that said... Look at what happened yesterday with the Baptist hospital that was uh, it came under attack, um, and immediately there were uh, there was finger pointing on both sides. Hamas saying that you know hey it was it was obviously the Israelis that did this, 
um, you know, the Israelis saying, you, you know, we, we didn't have anything to do with this. And there was a lot of propaganda that was getting shouted back and forth. They were claiming 500 casualties. Now, um, they, they were claiming that a, a JDAM hit it. Uh, I saw the, the footage of the damage. JDAM didn't hit that. All right. I've seen the damage from a JDAM. JDAM didn't hit that building. All right. JDAM didn't hit that hospital. Definitely does look like it was an errand rocket. Um, misfired. Burned out a little too quick. And what it looks like to me from the damage, because there was a very small, very, very small crater and a lot of flashover damage, uh, it looked like it hit the fuel storage for the generators at that hospital. That's what it looks like to me. And uh, I strongly doubt that, that 500 people were, were killed. 500 people might have been wounded um, if they were standing outside, maybe trying to seek shelter in the hospital. Uh, you know, because it looked like the parking lot was hit. I would believe that. Okay. I would certainly believe that. I would certainly believe that it hit the fuel storage. You know, I, I've been in an IED or two. Uh, I've survived seven of them myself. Um, two of them were catastrophic. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I get to live with that, uh, every day, you know, waking up in, in the morning to feel some, some pain from that. Uh, but, um, I, I've I've seen the the, the catastrophic damage that, that explosions uh, and, and IEDs in particular uh, have when they're going off, and uh, I can tell you when you have a lot of flame, like what I saw in the footage, a lot of flame that indicates uh, fuel that that is burning up with the oxygen, and, and that you only see that with a very low grade explosive. Um, a 20 uh, kilogram warhead, like what's found on, on the rockets that are being fired off by Hamas. You're not going to see an explosion that large. You certainly wouldn't see the flash over, um, because that they, they're using a better explosive. They're, they're not using HME for that. But if it were to hit diesel fuel or JP eight or even gasoline, uh, benzene for the generators, uh, whatever type of generator they're actually running out there you would see a flash like that. Um, so, you, and, and a giant fireball. So anyway, uh, that damage looked pretty consistent with that for me. But again, you know, analyzing that and the propaganda that, that was being tossed back and forth, the way the media jumped on that, um, they were very quick to blame the Israeli government. And I'm not saying that, that they wouldn't have had a hand in such a thing. All right, it It happens. These things happen. They're, they're tragic, but they do happen. All right. And I'm not saying that civilian targets won't get hit later on because they probably will. It, it's an inevitability. All right. And, and it is the tragedy of war. Okay. It is the tragedy of war. And I'm not saying that any of this is right or moral or just. I'm at whore, I, I am absolutely abhorred by all of this because I've seen it firsthand. I've seen all this stuff firsthand. Folks, and, and, you know, and, and I wish that none of this were so, but we are on a trajectory now uh, that, that I don't think that we're going to be able to get off of. We pushed the envelope way too far in Ukraine and talking about how this, this unfolding war was very convenient for the powers that be in Israel, 
this war is very convenient for the powers that be in D.C. as well. You you know, the war in Ukraine's not going well. It, it was a, uh, it has become a stalemate that is looking to be broken soon, very, very soon. And our weapons stockpiles are, are all but exhausted. They got to have a way out. All right, you got to have a way out. Shifting to another conflict is one way out of that. Uh, we did this, it, by the way, we did this about a decade ago in the shift, in the, the drawdown from Iraq to Afghanistan. We shifted back to Afghanistan. And then when the drawdown in Afghanistan occurred, we shifted to Ukraine almost immediately. So keep that in the back of your mind. All right. War is great business for somebody. Not for you and I. and Not for our sons. But it is definitely uh, great business for somebody. And they, they're unfortunately, they're looking at it that way. So with that said, let's talk about Iran. So Iran raised the black Shahada um, over the Golden Dome. Now, this happened last night amid protests that have erupted over the bombing of the hospital, which I, I say is roughly analogous to the bombing of the Caspa in the Battle of Algiers. And if you haven't seen the Battle of Algiers, I, if, if I've said it once, I've said it 50 times, that is the most important film to watch to understand the marriage between Marxist revolutionaries and Islamicists. But also to understand the nature of asymmetric warfare, there's a reason that that film endures. You need to watch it. But the bombing of the Caspa was a shifting point in the, the uh, tepid support for the Algerian revolutionaries to now hardcore solidarity with the Algerian revolutionaries. And I think... I think, unfortunately, that the this hospital bombing, despite who's responsible for it, right, doesn't matter, whoever's responsible for it, uh, which it's looking like Hamas. It, 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 to me, from what I've seen, that looks that looks a hell of a lot like uh, my initial assessment of it. But it doesn't matter. You've got a large swath of people out there that are not willing to accept reality. They're not willing to accept any answer. And had it been the Israelis that pulled it off, you've got a large segment of the population that would be more than willing to deny the fact that, that they hit a civilian target, right? unfortunately. And that's just calling it down the middle. But now you have Iran. right? We've, we've got widespread protests against the Israeli embassies. This violence is ratcheting up. But it's not just the Israeli embassies. The United States as well. Last night in Turkey... Uh, we had a uh, large crowds of protesters that were gathering outside of our air bases in Turkey. How long before that becomes violent? Now, Turkey is a, a NATO ally, right? Maybe on paper, and I have my very strong opinion of uh, the duplicitous nature of the Turks. I, I mean, I make no bones about that. But they have their own objective, and they're not protecting the United States uh, military personnel. Lebanon, Syria, right? Egypt. 
these places are, are uh, starting to see a significant amount of unrest. Jordan. Now, you know, the, the Jordanian king, King Abdullah II, is uh, really a, a King Hussein II, is really a, a, a very honorable man, and, and I'm impressed by him. Uh, his candor, his uh, manner in which he, he speaks, his, his rule is very impressive man. But this uh, challenge, and, and it was under his father's reign, this challenge and this threat that's that's posed by the Palestinians is well within his borders. And and under his father's reign, they, they suffered a very strong challenge and a very strong threat. You know, will he survive this one? In, in, in a wider war, who knows? We don't know. Um, and he is a very strong United States ally as well, an ally to the West. You know, we, we, we need that. Uh, but... This is what happens, again, when we lead from behind, when the United States leads from behind, our domestic policies, our borders are wide open. And look at our cities. Look at our cities. You know, the waving of those Palestinian flags, it'd be easy to dismiss these things as just, oh, yeah, that's just something that they're going to do, right? That's just something they're going to do. Whatever. No big deal. You know, and I don't totally disagree with them. Eh, okay. Yeah, but they totally disagree with you. And you're a group target. You have to understand this. You have to recognize this. It doesn't matter. You're an American. They're living in America. They may even be American citizens, but they don't consider themselves American. That's why they're flying those Palestinian flags. They act in their own self-interest, in their self-interest alone. And that includes attacking you when the time is right. Because it's part of the larger revolution. To Iran, the hoisting of the black Shahada. So there were a lot of interesting takes on social media about this last night. Uh, It's not the first time that this has happened. It is the second time. However, the black Shahada is not raised because of mourning. All right, mourning, mourning the death, mourning the... That was what apologists for uh, the, the Hamas, Hezbollah, that, that was what they were claiming, right? That's not correct. Anyone who's ever spent any trigger time in the Middle East knows that when you see a black Shahada, it means they're going to war. The messaging out of Iran, the Twelvers, Right. The Twelvers uh, believe, as Shia, they believe that the Twelfth Imam, the perfected Imam, the Mahdi, is going to lead the armies of Islam to conquer the world. And there's going to be a final battle at Megiddo. Right? So the Battle of Armageddon, is, is us Christians believe that the Battle of Armageddon is going to happen there as well. And this is going to usher in the return of Christ. They believe that the Mahadi is going to come up out of the well in Qum, the wishing well. So whenever you, you see a fountain and you throw a penny in it, you, you make a wish. Well, that, that comes from Persian society, by the way. But they believe that the Mahadi is going to rise up out of the well in Qum and that he is going to lead the armies of Islam, of Allah, the army of the righteous, to purify Al-Quds, 
which is Jerusalem, and make way for the temple on the mount. All right, or the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So, that's the symbology behind this. They've raised that flag for a reason, and the messaging that's come out of there is very concerning, to say the least. Now, understand that there has been part of the Democrat Politburo in Washington, D.C. that has allowed them this opportunity over the years. This happened under Barack Hussein Obama and Valerie Jarrett specifically, who is Iranian, to create a nuclear weapon. Where is the Bashir nuclear facility located? Kum. Right by the wishing well. The Mahadi is going to rise up. Hmm. Let's think about this one, folks. And it doesn't matter whether you think that they're wackadoodles or, or whatever. You know, oh, they're just crazy doomsday cult type people. You know, oh, whatever. You know, end times prophecy stuff. Folks, it doesn't matter what you believe or your personal opinion on it. It doesn't change their aims of what they plan on doing. And the fact that they are actively working and have been actively working on putting that into motion. Now, do I personally think that that's going to usher in the end times and, you know, some, some prophecy out of Revelation? I don't know. I'm hardly a biblical scholar. I'm a devout Christian, but I'm hardly a biblical scholar. I'm not an expert on the Quran. I'm not an expert on all this stuff. But I can tell you from having lived and worked there in a professional capacity in Iraq, where I worked with a lot of Shias, I worked with a lot of Sunnis, worked with a lot of Kurds, I worked with a lot of Shias. And when I was in Samara, when they had the big, uh, they, they had the big pilgrimage to the spiral minaret in Samara. It was the first time that, that Shias could do this since the fall of Saddam. Saddam didn't, didn't allow this to happen. He saw Shias, because he was a, a Sunni, uh, but specifically he, he was a uh, Sunni socialist. He was a Baathist. But he saw Shias and Shia Islam as a threat to his rule. And so he didn't allow this into Samara. All right. And so Samara and the Spiral Minaret is very historically significant. So they had uh, a big festival there. They had their uh, the, uh, a big uh, pilgrimage. And so I wanted to have, while I was there and I was seeing this, which was very interesting to me, I wanted to know what the deeper meaning of a lot of this stuff was. And I was explained all of this uh, by Shia. That, that were there, that we were working with. They were Iraqi policemen. And it was very fascinating. And it gives you a deeper view of the world that you don't necessarily get here in the United States. Um, and, and one that, that hopefully I can share with all of you out there and you can get a little bit out of it, a much more uh, deeper view. But I'll say this, that it is, it is very, very concerning the direction that all these things are moving. And we have Putin now. Uh, we parked not one, but two carriers, uh, carrier strike groups in the region. And Putin comes out and says this morning, this was a statement that was put out this morning, that now the United States Navy is within range of his hypersonic missiles. Folks, you don't think that that's, that's a, a threat? 
You don't think that he might maybe want to make good on that promise? Well, the sinking of the Muscova, just because there is a delayed reaction to every action, does not mean that there will not be a reaction. You don't think that maybe there might be something? I'd be on edge. For everyone out there listening to this podcast, understand that we are head first going into something, careening into something that I don't think we've seen in the world before. Hard times, the likes of which is is uh, might be something that, that we're going to uh, not be able to deal with socially. I pray that it's not, but we're headed to it. All of this is culminating into something. And so what you do today is going to matter for tomorrow, regardless of what your personal opinion on all of these things may be. Understand that there is an enemy out there that is telling you, with great enthusiasm, by the way, that they're looking forward to the day that they can kill you. Whether they're Marxist revolutionaries, whether they're Islamist revolutionaries, at this point, it's looking like they're one and the same. They have a long history of working together. Our southern border is wide open. The D.C. Politburo seems to be asleep at the wheel, at a minimum. Complacent at the worst, but at a minimum asleep at the wheel. Completely clueless. That situation is hopeless. We've got an influx of people that I don't think that that America is going to survive this. Socially. At a societal level. I don't think that we're going to be able to surmount the reality that we have people that are unassimilatable to American culture. And have open displays of defiance towards it. What you're doing today is going to matter tomorrow, folks. I'm telling you, take your training seriously. Take your equipment seriously. Take everything that you've done up until now, and I get it. A lot of people have prepper burnout. Uh, you know, I, uh, so much going on. Just can't do all this. I just want an escape, right? The war is going to come to your doorstep whether you want it or not. And it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. And I pray that I'm wrong about these things. But I don't think that I am. Noah built the ark before the flood. And I think, and at least in the way that I'm sizing things up, that the world is beginning to rain. The flood's coming. And with that said, folks, um, that's why I built BrushBeater.store. That's why I do the things that I do. That's why I spend the time that I spend away from my family. It's it's a mission to help all of you out there. It, it It's a mission to give as much as I can to anybody with, with the, the, the ears to listen. Heed the warning for those who can. And if you can't, well, then that's fine too, right? But understand that that's why it exists. 
That's why I do what I do. That's the mission. That's the mission of Radio Contra. And, uh, you know, I, I, I pray every day for peace. But I understand that we must prepare our hands for war. Just as David, just as Gideon, just as Paul. Sell your cloak and buy a sword. Anyway, with that said, folks, there's there's a lot of trials and tribulations that we're being faced with. And it's important to maintain that focus on what is right. Get closer with God. Improve your spiritual life. Cost you nothing. You know, something that my grandmother used to say, you give your problems to God, he'll be up all night working on it. He's there with us. But uh, at a minimum, take it seriously. It's, it's, we're, we are in probably the most serious times right now, I think, that, that the United States may have ever been in. And we, we have got a lot of challenges ahead. God bless. And I will talk to you again very very soon. It is an honor as always to be with you folks. Thank you for making this podcast what it is for this incredible audience, for making the store what it has become, for making the Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio, the Gorilla Dispatch Volumes 1 and 2, what they have become, the absolute uh, phenomenon of being a number one bestseller now for closing in on a year. December 1st, it will be one year. It's really, really hard to believe. It's all because of you. Thank you so much. I'll be back on the air very, very soon. This is NC Scout, out.